You can be seated, and as you do so, uh, Mosaic Kids, if you're heading out, you can head out, follow our folks in the yellow shirts. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mosaic Kids folks. The rest of you can open up your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 will be in verse 1. We'll be in verse 1 this week, we'll be in verse 1 next week, and then after that, we'll keep exploring the rest of Romans chapter 5. I just wanted us to lay a strong foundation for our study in Romans 5, and Romans 5.1 is, is kind of an encapsulation of all that Paul wants to say in Romans 5. As you turn your Bibles, let me ask you a question. Anyone follow the Olympics this year? Any Olympics junkies in here? Yes. I see you. My wife brought me into Olympics fandom this year. I haven't really followed the Olympics before. Um, but I have always watched the opening ceremonies. Uh, because the opening ceremony of the Olympics is fascinating to watch. It's always full of distinct performances that represent the culture and community of the host country. But, but the Olympics opening ceremony, traditionally, and this year was no different, uh, they tried to kind of provide some commentary or a story of what's been happening in the previous year, previous four years. And that's a, that was a tall order uh, for this last year's Olympics, for this summer's Olympics. I mean, you think about everything they had to try to communicate and for this year, the big music number of the Olympics with guest appearances from singers around the world was the song Imagine by John Lennon. Maybe you saw this. I got to tell you something. I'm just going to be transparent with you. Not a fan of this song, okay? I'm not a fan of this song, and here's why. Imagine is a hymn to the cheapest piece possible. It's a hymn to the cheapest piece possible. If you've forgotten the lyrics, let me remind you. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine there's no countries, there's no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Now that's just a snapshot. And as much as I want to, I can't spend the entire sermon just dunking on this song. And I gotta tell you, I really want to do that. Uh, my wife listened to this introduction last night and said, you got to cut like 80% of that. Uh, <clears throat> here's why. If imagine is the highest dream of peace possible, then it's a peace I don't want. Because really, imagine is a song that envisions that peace can only be possible if heaven is a lie, if there's no differences or distinctions in the world, and if God's not around. It's a pretty... It's a pretty cynical view of peace. Basically, like, all of the great distinctiveness and difference of the world, instead of seeing that as a good thing, as a beautiful thing, it's like, now let's just obliterate all that, and we'll have peace because we'll all be the same, and there won't be a God to judge anything, so good and evil will have no consequence. There'll be no heaven or hell, so there really will be no hope or consequence. It's not a, it's not a very uplifting Picture, although it seems to be the song that we turn to when there's a collective moment of grief. It's the song that gets trotted out every time something sad happens in the world. And it's not that we don't want peace. Don't get me wrong, we want peace. The world wants peace. Every beauty pageant queen that's ever won the crown wants world peace. But if the popularity of this song is any indication, we want peace, but we have no idea what it is. The world around us desperately wants peace. But we don't actually know what peace is. You see, the church in Rome certainly had heard of peace. This church that Paul writes this letter to, they had heard of peace. But it wasn't peace with God. It was the Pax Romana. It was the peace of Rome. 
Pax Romana would have been a phrase that everybody in the church in Rome would have known. Pax Romana would have been the goal of Roman civilization and society, but it was not a peace that came by way of something good happening. It was a peace that had been achieved by Rome's incredible military might and empire building. Peace with Rome or peace of Rome or the Pax Romana wasn't like just some, uh, it wasn't like the Roman citizens and all the countries they conquered were won over by the glory of Rome. It's that Rome said, hey, you either get on board or you get out of the way. And so when Paul uses the phrase peace with God in Romans 5.1, it's not just that it was a chief benefit of justification, though it was, and we're going to explore that. It's that it was a countercultural way of thinking about peace. And so let me read Romans 5.1, and we're going to take just a moment today to explore this phrase, peace with God. Let me read Romans 5.1. After I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And there's an invitation for you to respond and to say, thanks be to God. The reason we do this is because God hasn't left us in silence. He's spoken to us. So let me read Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. What is peace with God? Well, the first benefit that Paul lists for those who have been justified is peace with God. So peace with God, we can say, is the chief benefit of being justified. Peace with God is the chief benefit benefit of being justified, meaning it's the chief thing that justification does, right? We talked about this last week. If, if peace with God is a benefit of justification, then implicit within that is that before we are justified, we lack peace with God. So to have peace with God, we must be justified. And like last week, we explored the doctrine of justification. We explored how the doctrine of justification is a legal change of status, It's a fundamental change to who we are at our core, at our being, that we are born unrighteous, but because of what God has done in Jesus, we can be declared righteous if we make our home with God in Jesus. If we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus takes upon himself the unrighteousness that we have by nature, and he gives us the righteousness that he has by grace. This is justification, and a chief benefit of justification is peace with God. Now, something interesting about this phrase, Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, do you know how many times he uses this phrase, peace with God? Once, right here. Now, Paul will use the phrase peace of God. He'll talk about God's peace, but this peace with God is different than the other usages of peace or peace language or peace of God throughout Paul's works. And the reason for it is threefold. The first is this peace, this peace with God, is something we aren't born with. It's something we aren't born with. We are born at war with God. We are born enemies, not friends of God. And subsequently, we are not born at peace with God. We are born at enmity, at friction, at embattlement, at war with God. That's how we're born into this world. The consequence of being unrighteous by nature is that we are born into this world at war with God. And yet justification provides us peace with God. It's a legal change of designation. This peace with God is different from other pieces as well because it's something we can't get anywhere else. Right? You're not going to find peace with God on a day off. 
You're not going to find it on the edge of the Grand Canyon. You're not going to find it with a completed to-do list. You're not going to find it at inbox zero. You're not going to find it at the beaches of Bali. You're not going to find peace with God anywhere else but in Jesus. This peace with God is fundamentally different than other kinds of peace available to us, right? And we want peace, right? That's, you know, that, that's the whole idea of a vacation by and large is I am willing to go somewhere else to spend money to do something else. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to really inconvenience myself from routine so that I might just get a little bit of peace. I might just get a thimble full of it here. But what the Bible's talking about and what Paul's talking about here in verse 1 of chapter 5 is a peace with God that is non-circumstantial. It's not contingent on what's going on around you. This peace with God is sturdy. It's solid. It's a strong foundation. And the reason for it is this peace with God is not a feeling. This peace with God is not a feeling. Many Christians enter into serious seasons of doubt and despair. Because they feel like, I don't feel peace with God. That, there's a lack there. Or maybe there is a presence of feeling like there is friction between us and God. And, and what ends up happening is they'll go, okay, well, I don't feel that I'm at peace with God. Or I don't feel God's presence. So that must mean that he's far away. Or that must mean that he's angry with me. Or that must mean that he's forgotten me. The feelings become the foundation of truth as opposed to the foundation of truth being the solid ground underneath our fleeting feelings. You see, this peace with God is not a subjective feeling. It's an objective foundation. It's a fundamental change in our identity, our being, our status before God. Before we are justified, we are at war with God. It is a legal designation. We have a citizenship and it's in the wrong kingdom. It's in the kingdom of darkness. But... Because of God's gracious work in Jesus, he removes us from this kingdom of darkness. He removes us from this status of at war with God. He brings us into the kingdom of his son, and we are given a peace with God that, like the righteousness God provides in Jesus, can't be extinguished. It can't be exhausted. It can't be lost. Let me tell you something. Even in the darkest days of your life, when you feel as if God has abandoned you or abandoned the world around you, if you are in Christ, you are standing, whether you know it or not, on a peace with God foundation. Because the peace with God that God grants, it's not held and kept by you, it's held and kept by God. And he's faithful even when we're faithless, and he's faithful even when we feel like our faith is falling. That's really good news, because have you ever been in a position where you felt like your faith is falling? Have you ever been in a position where you felt faithless? I don't mean faithless meaning you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean faithless like I don't have faith. If you haven't been there, I'll tell you, it is a normal course of the Christian life to find yourself in a place where you go, I don't know if I trust God. I don't know if I really believe he is who he says he is. I don't really know if I believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. This is a normal part of the Christian life. It's not something we seek out. It's not something we want. It's not something we would say is good, but it is something that happens to everyone. But peace with God is this incredible foundation. It's an incredible foundation that reminds us that even in those moments, we can stand before God and we can say, I don't know if I trust you. And God is gracious to say, 
well, okay, you can stay with me in my presence even while you doubt who I am. Because we've been given this foundation of righteousness, this peace with God. What God is this who is so gracious that he allows us in our most despairing, disobedient, and doubting and distrusting moments to stand on the foundation of peace with God, to doubt the very goodness of the God that has given us that peace? That's a kind God. And that's who the God of the Bible is. And this is what justification has done for those who are in Jesus. See, we often think about peace as a feeling, right? Peace is a feeling. Peace is something that we feel that when we are settled or at home or comfortable. But the power of peace with God is that it is the foundation of a peace that surpasses all understanding. We want the peace that surpasses all understanding, don't we? I mean, gosh, that's what I want. I want the peace that surpasses all understanding. I want the peace that after a day where everything goes wrong, I can say, you know what, I still trust God. But that is a feeling of peace that's rooted in the foundation of remembering that even when everything goes wrong, God is still good. God is still with us. He has not abandoned us. It's the kind of peace that you can know when everything else is crumbling because it's a peace that God holds for us. He holds in his hands. You know, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to this interview with a guy named Tyson Fury. Anybody know Tyson Fury? He's one of, if not the most dominant heavyweight boxers in the world right now. And he had just defeated an unbeaten opponent, like a, like a juggernaut, okay? This is like a rocky situation. He had beaten this guy and he won the heavyweight title of the world. It had been his singular goal to win this fight. But seven days after he won that fight, they stripped him of the belt. And it wasn't for drugs or anything like that. They stripped him of the belt. Do you know why? He couldn't even show up to negotiate for a fight with a far lesser opponent. And, and the interviewer was asking him, Why? Why couldn't you even just show up to the room? Why couldn't you just sign the contract? You had just beaten the unbeatable guy, and this guy's way beneath you. Why couldn't you show up? And this is what he says. I was at the lowest low anyone could ever have. I'd wake up and wonder why did I even wake up this morning. And this is coming from a guy who had everything. I had beaten the unbeatable. I had money, fame, glory, titles, a wife, kids, everything. I had everything, but I felt as if I had nothing I felt there was an empty, gaping hole that was just filled with gloom and doom, and I had no peace. We want peace. We can get everything that we want and not have peace and feel like we lack the very thing that we need the most. And this is what happens when you try to find the feeling of peace outside of the foundation of peace with God. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, eternity has been set within the human heart. Let me tell you something. Trying to find peace outside of peace with God, it would be like trying to fill a bottomless hole of eternity in our heart with grains of sand. It doesn't matter how much you pour down there. There is no bottom to it. You're not going to fill it up. Peace with God is the only thing that will fill up the gap that we have at the very core of our being. It's what we were created to have, but because of sin, we are born without it. So let me give you a few ways that peace with God changes us. Because you might say, okay, I believe that I need peace with God, but tell me, what are the consequences for having received peace with God? What impact does peace with God make? Well, let me tell you. The first impact that peace with God makes is it changes our forever home. You are going to live forever. It's going, you are a forever creature. There is no end to your life. Now, you had a beginning, but there is no end to your life. You now live Forever. The only question is, what home will you live in forever? 
We're born into this world at war with God. And hell is life forever at war with God. That's what hell is. And it is a war that is a losing war. And it is a losing war for forever. But that is what hell is. It is a life lived forever at war with God. And peace with God, it changes this. It moves us from life forever at war with God to life forever at peace with God. It's a fundamental change of home. And I have to tell you, this is something I came back from sabbatical, burdened to my very core with. We have not spent sufficient time thinking about the life to come. Many of us are just trying to grind out survival today with no hope of heaven. There is no previous generation of Christians that speaks as little of heaven as we do today. And almost every previous generation of Christians endured greater trial than we do today. And I can tell you, I think it's one of the great causes of hopelessness in our present circumstances that we, we endure trials that are smaller than the trials of our forebearers, and yet our hopelessness is greater. Why? We speak so little of the life to come. But peace with God changes this. Heaven is a place where peace with God is explored forever. It's marked by joy, freedom, adventure, and contentment with God. Peace with God changes our eternal home. But it doesn't just make us fit for a heaven in the future. Peace with God is the foundation of peace in our lives today. You can experience the feeling of peace, but it will be rooted in the foundation of peace with God. Jason Wilson, he's an author and he's a mentor in Detroit, he writes this, peace has to be in us before it's around us. It's no surprise to me that we're in the midst of a great cultural upheaval, that we're at war with ourselves. And I'm not interested in any solutions to that that don't reckon with the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is reconciliation to God. And we can pontificate, and I really, I don't, care what side of the political spectrum you're on. What I deeply care about is that we lack peace around us because so many of us live as if peace is not in us. And a lot of that is because we have remained unreconciled to God. So the way forward for us is not going to be troubleshooting it with any sort of policy implementations. It's going to be a recovery of the fundamental reality of human existence, which is we're born at war with God and we make war with one another. And God is inviting us to enjoy peace with God and having received that peace with God to go out into the world to extend a peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace with God changes our forever home. It's the foundation of peace in our lives today. And peace with God is the motivation for peacemaking and reconciliation in a world at war with itself. You see, the church in Rome desperately needed peacemakers, people who have been reconciled to God and now can practice reconciliation among each other. And we need peacemakers today. And the only true peace, the peace with God, that's the only thing that can come with justification that is powerful enough for the ministry of peacemaking and reconciliation. We can only be the peacemakers the world needs when we have come to believe that we have been given a peace that cannot be called into question, that cannot be jeopardized. Martin Luther King Jr., he talked about this. He says, there's a type of peace that is obnoxious. It's the type of peace that stinks in the nostrils of the Almighty God. It's a peace of escapism. 
It's a peace that fails to confront the real issues of life. It's a peace that makes for stagnant complacency. Peace is not merely the absence of some negative force, war, tensions, confusion, but is the presence of some positive force, justice, goodwill, the power of the kingdom of God. We can only be resilient in our attempts to be peacemakers when we believe we are standing on a foundation of peace that cannot be removed. We can only oppose the world at war with itself when we know that we are no longer at war with God ourselves. That's the only motivation. That's what can motivate a moral courage. It's what can motivate us to not be disciples of an obnoxious escapist peace, but followers of Jesus who practice a peace marked by justice, goodwill, and the power of the kingdom of God. And when we receive this peace, we become people who cultivate peace in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Let me tell you, let me give you just some practical ways, because maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really know how to practice peace. Well, let me just give you some things that over the last couple of weeks as I've been praying through this, these are the four points of application that, the, that God has put on my heart for us as a people right now. Let me give you some ways you can practice peace. If you've received peace with God, here's how you can cultivate it in the world around you. The first, you can stop gossip in its tracks. Gossip is making war with words. And it's a guerrilla warfare, gossip is. Right? You don't see it coming. You don't even know that it's happening. But it will undermine the peace that you want to create. So if you want to cultivate peace with God around you, if you've already received peace with God, and you're wondering how can I practice it, you can stop gossip in its track. Hold on. Who are we talking about here and why? Is this a prayer request? Or are we just passing the word? We can stop gossip in its track. The, the second one, we can oppose the growth of injustice in our world. We can oppose the growth of injustice in the world. Let me just say something to us that should be on our radar. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but I just want to call it what it is. The last 10 years, Richardson has been going through some incredible revitalization. Do you know what we could be really careful of over the next few years? Where will people who don't have what they need get it in our city? Will there even be a space for people in our city who don't have what we have? Right? I love that our city is growing and thriving. I really do. I'm thrilled to death about it. I love this city. I put my roots down here. I love my life here. I know you do too. That's why you're here. Are, are we okay being in a city where if somebody lacks something, there isn't a place to go get it? We need to oppose the growth of injustice in our city, in our country. We need to meet the needs of the vulnerable. We need to meet the needs of the vulnerable. There will be many who over the last two weeks have posted and lament about what's happened around the world. And very few of them will take action on that. We know this, right? Right? We feel this too. I feel it in my own life. I bet you feel it. It's way easier for us to say, wow, something should be done, than to go do something. This is not just a you thing. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me too. We're in it together. Meet the needs of the vulnerable. We, we love our enemies and we assume the best of our friends and family in Christ. You want to be a peacemaker? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. You want to be a peacemaker? Stop arguing with people on Facebook. You may genuinely mean that. Okay? You want to be a peacemaker? Stop judging your neighbor based off of what color the sign is in their front yard next November. Just be a peacemaker. 
Have your convictions. I'm not asking you to throw them down. I'm not asking you to say that they're inconsequential. I'm just saying, put them within the context of a God who surrendered heaven to come to a world of enemies to rescue people. We desperately need people who have received and are prepared to give peace with God. One of, one of our century's most famous poets, certainly, Taylor Swift. I like to say when Taylor Swift sings, an angel gets their wings. Um, I'm a fan, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe you don't want your pastor to be a fan of Taylor Swift. I'm a fan, and I'm not, there's no guilt or shame in Christ Jesus, okay? On her most recent album, Folklore, she sings about all the things that she could give the person she loves, but she ends each promise with this question. But would it be enough if I could never give you peace? I mean, she knows the answer. That's the heartbreak of the song. The answer is no. I could give you all these things, but I could never give you peace. Would it be enough? No. Because we were born with a rift in our heart. We're alienated from the love that we were made for, the ache of our conscience, the hunger of our soul. If we get everything we ever wanted, but never the peace that we need, we may be able to distract ourselves from the absence. But in the night, in the quiet, on the dark days, we'd give everything that we had for peace with God. And you don't have to. Because Christ has given everything so that you can have peace with God. It's not cheap, but it's free. And that's good news. God's not inviting you to say, you know what? You've got to give up everything that you know now so that you might have peace with God. He's saying, I already have. And you can know peace today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy in Christ. And we pray that we would know peace with God as the foundation of our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.